Hey, this is Ryan Tucker, and welcome to today's sermon by Pastor Stephen. Today, he looks at Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 16, and we're going to see how in a world full of judgment, we can see God's perfect judgment. And so we invite you to listen along as Pastor Stephen unpacks the truth of God's Word, looking at God's perfect judgment. Romans is going to answer this question in Romans chapter 2. How is God going to react or respond to the good United States citizen, morally good, they're pure, a great, great individual, but they never had any time for God? Now, we're not talking about the murderers. We're not talking about idolaters. I'm talking about people who are good people we know, not people who've sinned wickedly. How is God going to deal with that person? Well, Romans 2 answers again the question this morning. As you're finding the passage, Romans 2 verse 1, let me remind you that Romans was a book that was written to Christians in the city of Rome around 57 AD, give or take a few years on either side of that. They were located in a pagan culture, kind of like the United States of America.
And in chapter 1, the folks in the church at Corinth, or at Corinth, listen to me, Rome, they were applauding him. That's right, preach it, Paul. Come on, brother Paul, preach it. That's right. Talk about the immorality. That's right, Paul. Talk about the wickedness. That's right, Paul. People out there need to hear this. Talk to them about homosexuality. Talk to them about immorality. All those kinds of things. We need that kind of preaching, brother Paul. Preach it. And then in chapter 2, he changes directions. And he quits preaching to them. And he starts preaching to us. And today in the passage of Scripture, verses 1 through 16, we're going to see three topics that he deals with that all center around judgment. Look with me, chapter 2 of Romans, verse 1. Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the richness of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? So there are three topics that he's going to address before we get through these 16 verses. The first one that he addresses right here in these four verses is the risk of judging others. The risk of judging others. Now many of you, like me, have heard and maybe even said before, you know what the Bible says, thou shalt not judge we usually throw it in the same light as, well, you know what the Bible says, uh, let your conscience be your guide. Uh, you know what the Bible says, uh, God won't put more on you than you can bear. You know what the book says, cleanliness is next to godliness. I've got a whole sermon series, been compiling it for 29 years on what the Bible does not say. But the Bible does tell us to be careful not to judge but understand what Paul is saying here in this passage of Scripture. It doesn't say don't judge, period. The Bible says be careful in the way that you judge because the same judgment or the same standard that you use to judge will be used against you. The word here for judging is not a word that means to evaluate. Not, not a word that means to uh, form an opinion. It is a word that literally means to condemn someone in judgment. Here's what he is saying. He says, be very careful. It's very dangerous. It's very risky when a Christian becomes the judge, the jury, and the executioner. Be careful. Now, I want to say it again. It doesn't mean that you should not evaluate people. That you never overlook anyone's behavior by saying, well... Thou shalt not judge. We were walking through chapter 1 of the book of Romans. And here in, in that passage, you know, he was talking about, hey, there is a light. There are witnesses. We'll talk about this creation and conscience. And there are folks that they desire to know God. There will be a, a light, and they should run to that light, run to that light. It's spiritually, figuratively speaking, okay? But that if they desire to know that God will give them opportunity to know. 
And that there are some that instead of running to the light to know of of God and to know of Christ, they run from the light. And when they run from the light, it causes all all these wicked deeds to come about in their life. Instead of embracing truth, they they run from the truth. And then wickedness comes and, and evil. And it starts talking about all kinds of immorality. And then he spent, I don't know, about two or three verses, maybe a little bit more, talking about homosexuality. And we addressed it. And the reason why we addressed it is because the Bible addresses it. And yet, there were folks who, they took that sermon and, you know, they shared it and they cut excerpts out and uh, very few watched the whole thing. There are some that have an agenda and they're trying, to, they're trying to propagate that agenda. And so, it's not very hard to take what I say in bits and pieces to make it sound exactly the way that you want it to say. And here's what I say all the time. If you'll just hang around a little bit, I'll give you plenty of ammunition. And so here's what was said. It was said to me, and it was said out there on social media and all the different kinds of things. I mean, this thing's not even hit TV yet. It'll be fun. I'm on vacation that week. No, I'm not. I'm just teasing. I'm not. I don't even know when it's going to hit. Only our tech team could tell us that. But here's what was said. Thou shalt not judge. Who are you to judge? My uh, granddaddy was a preacher, and he always said, Thou shalt not judge. Quit spewing hate. You are trying to judge. No, friend, listen, listen. Evaluate and judge. That's not what he is saying here. He's talking about a standard, a standard that is based upon the Word of God. So the standard that we discussed when it comes to immorality, when it comes to sinfulness, when it comes to, you know, cohabitation, premarital sex, homosexuality, any kind of sex outside of the confines of a husband and wife, one man and one woman is sinful, and that applies to me just as it applies to the entire world. So it's not about judging, it's about here's what God's Word says. I'm not exempt from that as well. Anything in my life that would come outside of that boundary of a sexual relationship between me and my wife, it is in sin. And so you can't just arbitrarily grab that terminology and say, well, thou shalt not judge. You just get a free pass. I can do whatever I want to do because the Bible says thou shalt not judge. That's not what he is saying here. And we make value judgments all the time. I've got three kids. I've got two daughters that are in college. One 20, one's about to be 19. Let's just say that someday, and pray to God this never happens, some old hairy-legged boy shows up at my house, and he's standing at the front door, and he's got a fifth of whiskey in one hand. Now, I'm, I'm not sure. Do they sell whiskey in fifths? How do they sell whiskey? Thank you. That's a good answer. It's a great answer. Let's just say he's holding some kind of volume of whiskey in one hand. He's got a marijuana cigarette in the other hand. He knocks on the door, and I come, and he's like, I'm here for your daughter. You like my brand-new customized van? Look, it's in your driveway. Now, I could say, well, who am I to judge? (laughs) And I'm not going to condemn him. Hear me. I'm not going to condemn him. I might might call some police officer friends and say, you might want to take a ride down my street. 
but I am going to evaluate him. And I can go ahead and tell you what the conclusion of my evaluation is going to be. <laughs> I don't think so, Jack. <laughs> You're not taking my daughter anywhere. Matter of fact, you got about five seconds to get off of my yard. And I'll call Pastor Carl, who lives a street over from me. He'll come clean his shotgun on my front porch in his swim trunks. <laughs> see, see, we make evaluations all the time. So, so, so for folks to sit there and to say, oh, you can't say that any kind of behavior is wrong because that's judging. And the Bible says, no, no, no. What he says is, hey, whatever standard you use to judge, it'll be used for you. And what's that standard? It's God's word. Be careful you don't stand in condemning judgment over someone. I'll give you an example this morning. Most of us are familiar with the story of Jeffrey Dahmer. Jeffrey Dahmer, the serial killer grotesquely murdered over 17 individuals. Horrific what he did to them. He was sentenced to several concurrent life sentences. And if somebody could explain that to me, because I just don't get that. He gets four life sentences. What does that mean? When he dies, we're bringing him back to life. You got three more to go, buddy. He was murdered in prison. How many of you, you may not know this, but after he was sentenced to prison before he was murdered, he claimed to have been born again. C claims to have a salvation, to have had a salvation experience. He was attending chapel in prison. Professed Christ as Lord and Savior. Followed through in believer's baptism. Claimed to be a Christ follower. I want you to examine your own feelings about that. I don't know, maybe somebody today is sitting there and you're thinking this, you know what, if he's going to be in heaven, I don't want to be there. Or maybe you might even say something like this, well, now hang on just a second, I don't know about that. I mean, God's grace, it's sufficient enough to cover just a regular old day sinner like me. But are you kidding me? Nobody that is guilty of something like him. I'm here to tell you, we can evaluate the crimes of Jeffrey Dahmer all day in which the jury has already done that. But you and I neither have any right nor do we have any authority to decide whether he's in hell or he's in heaven. That's God's decision. That's what he is saying there. He's talking about just casting this judgment upon somebody. He says, be very, very risky. And the reason why he tells us that we should be very careful when it comes to that is because our judgment is not the same as God's judgment. Our judgment is, is faulty. Man's judgment is blind. Man's judgment is blind to all the facts. Matter, matter of fact, we're blind to our own faults. Do you know that we all have blind spots? You didn't know that? Ask your spouse. Ask your children. Ask your parents. We all have blind spots and other people can see them, but we're completely unaware of that because we feel like we got it together. We feel like that we're better than most. Our judgment is extremely faulty. Paul says you're doing a dangerous thing when you judge other people because you yourself might be guilty of the very same thing. 
But now God's judgment is different than man's judgment. God's judgment is perfect. God has no character deficiencies at all. No, no, no. God's judgment is perfect because God's character is perfect. And he not only talks about the judgment of God, but then all of a sudden in verse 4, he talks about the kindness of God. Look at what he says in verse 4 again. He says, do you despise the riches of God's kindness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? So he contrasted, he contrasted our judgment with God's judgment. Now he's talking about our kindness with God's kindness. Man's kindness. We all have this tendency. We're either usually at one end of the spectrum or the other. We're really, really condemning. We're really, really harsh. Or we swing all the way to the other side and we, won't, we don't want to judge. We overlook the behavior of other people to the point that they can take advantage of us. They can abuse our kindness. I know that from observation. I've had many brokenhearted Christians that have come to me through years upset because somebody that they showed kindness to trampled all over their kindness and took advantage of them. Our kindness is flawed, but not God's kindness. God's kindness is perfect. How do we know that? Because it says it leads to repentance. You see, when you're kind to someone else, it doesn't always cause them to suddenly uh, change and straighten up and repent of their sin. But he says, when you truly understand what God's kindness is, it will lead you to, to repentance. That the only direction when you finally get God's kindness that you can go is the direction of the cross. That God's kindness is strong. It involves patience. But as we're going to see right now, it also involves his judgment. So Paul says there's a risk. There's a risk of judging others. But then secondly, he talks about the rulings of God's judgment that's perfect. Look in verse 5. He says in verse 5, But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Now, stop right there. Notice how many times he uses the second person pronoun there. You and your, like four or five times, depending on what translation you have. Again, what are you saying is, remember, we're not talking about them. We're, we're talking about you. We're talking about us. We're, we're talking about folks in the church. Look what he writes in verse 6. Who will render to each one according to his deeds? Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. Tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. There is going to be a day, is what Paul is saying, to which God judges the hearts and he judges the intent of every single human being. You and I are scheduled on the docket of God's judgment day. 
some of us in this room, our judgment will be to receive eternal life. Now, maybe you're sitting there and you're like, okay, eternal life. Now, that means immortality. That means living forever. I'll never forget, I had somebody not too long ago when we were talking about this very thing, and I'm like, wouldn't you like to have eternal life? And here's what they said. You mean I never die? I will always live? And we know eternal life is a spiritual life. God has chosen to give life, even in physical death, to those that are in Jesus Christ. And here's what that individual said to me. I don't want to keep on living because this life stinks. I I don't want an eternal living life the way that I'm living life right now. See, a lot of times when we talk about eternal life, we think of quantity of life instead of quality of life. No, no, no. Eternal life is not just I'm going to live forever, but it's about the characteristic of what eternal life is. The best definition I've heard of eternal life in all the Bible is in John 17, 3. Listen to what John writes, or yeah, John writes, this is actually Jesus speaking. He says in John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So here's what he says eternal life is. Eternal life is knowing God. And the only way that I can know God is not to be more religious. The only way that I can know God is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That eternal life does not start when I die. Eternal life starts the very moment that I meet God. That's what he's saying in this passage of scripture. And then some of you are like, when I hang on just saying, I'm kind of hanging on that word judgment here. What do you mean? Judgment. Who's going to be at this judgment? What about appearing in God's eternal court, as you so call it? I'm going to let you in on a little secret this morning in case you're not aware of this. Now, some of you are already aware of it, but many of you may not be aware of it. I'm never going to stand before the great white throne judgment of God. You say, because you're a preacher? (laughs) Heavens, no. (laughs) No, no, no. No, not at all. But because I settled my case out of court. You see, they say that the key to a, you know, the defense of a good trial or the success of a trial is to have a good attorney. And I retained a good attorney. I received a good attorney whose name was Jesus Christ. According to 1 John chapter 2, here's what it said. On the very day that I received Jesus as Savior and Lord, he became my advocate. And so I retained him. And do you know what? Do you know what I said to my defense attorney? I sat down with him. I said this to my advocate. I said, Jesus, before we go any further, there's something I need to tell you. I got to get this off my chest. I'm guilty. Just want you to know what you're getting into here. I'm guilty. I'm guilty of it all. I'm guilty of sin. I'm guilty of thoughts. I'm guilty of what the Bible has said. I'm guilty and I need your help. There's no question about it. I am guilty. And my defense attorney, my advocate, Jesus Christ said this. Well, that's what I wanted you to do. I wanted you to admit that you're guilty. I wanted you to admit that you can't help yourself. 
I wanted you to admit that you need me. I wanted you to trust me. I wanted you to cast your life upon me. And you know what? Because you have done that, I'll take care of you. I'll take care of you. And so my defense attorney, my advocate went to the judge who just happens to be his daddy. And he said, you know what? I'm here on behalf of Stephen Kyle, Dad. I'm going to be a mediator between him and between you. Now, Father, Stephen is guilty. And Dad said, oh, I know. I know. I know more how more guilty he is than even he knows himself. There's no question about it, Father. He is guilty of sin, Father. But listen, I'm going to stand on his behalf, and I'm going to ask you to allow the punishment that fell upon me on the cross to be received instead of receiving the eternal punishment of hell forever and ever that he should be condemned to. Father, I stand on his behalf. And when you look at him, Father, I want you to see through his sinfulness and I want you to see him for who I am. And from that moment forward, when the eternal judge of the universe, friend, listen to me, one day we'll all give an account for that judgment. For those that are in Christ, our defense attorney will take care of it for us, okay? For those that are not, you'll give an account. But make no mistake, we'll all give an account, one way or the other. When that eternal judge of the universe looked at me, he saw, me, he st- he saw standing beside me his son, Jesus Christ. And that's how that scripture comes about. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And can I tell you what happened? I settled out of court. I don't even have to show up for the judge. I don't even have to get cleaned up and go there and have to sit next to my defense attorney and him say, hey, smile, act like people like you. You know, uh, you know, don't react. Your face makes all the difference in the world. I know you're guilty, but don't say a word. I don't even have to be there. I settled my case out of court when I was nine, almost ten years old. If you've not done that, can I tell you, there's nothing more that I recommend in life than that. Look at what he says in verse 8. But, mm, mm, but for those who are self-seeking, those who do not obey the truth, but if they obey unrighteousness, here's what they'll get. Indignation and wrath. You say, does that mean God's going to lose his temper? No, that's not what it means at all. God does not lose his temper, okay? Understand that. This is not a situation where God's sitting there and God's saying, oh, you've been bad. I can't believe how wicked you've been. And he gets so upset and he gets angry. It's not talking about that at all. He doesn't have a volatile personality. The Greek word in this passage of Scripture, it literally means this, church. It means a settled, predetermined disposition against sin. See, the Bible says that God is angry with the wicked every day. But he loves the sinner. So it's not like God's getting mad and losing his temper. No, no, no. no. This is part of the nature of God. This is part of the personality of God, the character of God. You say, what is that character? God hates sin. God will judge sin. The Bible makes no bones about it. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, listen, you've got one of two opportunities out here. Either you accept the love of God through his son, Jesus Christ, who takes your place. If you don't do that, then guess what? You'll receive wrath. 
and you'll receive judgment. The only two options. Either your case is settled out of court and you accept the grace and pardon of Jesus or you'll stand before God and you'll be the recipient of his wrath and his justice. One of two things. Or either in one of two courts. So he says there's a risk of judging. Man's judging and it's flawed. We don't really, our kindness is even flawed. Not God's judgment. It's perfect. God's kindness is perfect. And then there's rulings of his judgment. But then he says, let's talk about the requirements of God's law. Now, let me ask you this before we go any further. How many preachers in the United States of America today do you think said, hmm, I think I'll preach the first 16 verses of Romans 2? I would say probably very few. That's why I love being committed to verse-by-verse preaching through God's Word. Okay? We could have come today. We could have done a patriotic theme. We could have had a God and country service. And hear me, I'm not against that, okay? I'm not casting shade at anybody because they have done that. Man, my goodness. I just don't, again, like holidays, hijacking my preaching. And so today we're looking at what is judgment, what is kindness, and what is law. He says, first of all, there's the requirements or the requirements of God's law. Look in verse 12. He writes in verse 12, For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. Now, let, let's stop right there before we read the rest. Basically, here's what he said. There are folks who have the written word of God. We have the written word. Word of God. We can open it up. We can read it. Here's what God's word says. It says, do this, don't do this. It says, here's why God loves you. Here's the gospel woven through everything. Yet a gospel produces a repentant heart and a changed life. The Jews, they have the first five books of the Old Testament. It is known as the Torah. They would say, this is the law. Very heavy on law. Very light on grace. I'm thankful that the Bible is heavy on grace. And then there are some people, they've never had a copy of God's Word. What are you saying here is, I'm not just writing this to those who have a copy of God's Word, or even the Jews who say, we've got the law. I'm not just writing this to those who say, yeah, yeah, I understand, I've read the Bible before. He says, I'm writing this to everybody, okay? For those who've had a copy of God's Word, those who don't have a copy of God's Word, those who've never seen a Bible, those who've never stayed in a hotel and opened up that little drawer and seen that Gideon's Bible. I'm talking to everyone, is what he says. And then look at what he says in verse 13. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law unto themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts. It's almost like they paid him according to the number of times he wrote the word law. He's letting her loose, isn't he? Who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So Paul's saying whether you have a Bible, you don't have a Bible, you've never read a Bible, God's requirement's the same. God's requirement is not hearing the word. God's requirement is not knowing the word. God's requirement is obeying the word. 
Our churches are filled with people who know the Word, filled with people who read the Word. They've heard the Word preached. They've had the Word taught to them in small groups. They've heard the Word spoken. The problem is they're not doing anything about it. Paul says you're not obeying the Word, and God will have one word for you, guilty, guilty. Friend, it does not matter how much of this book that you know. It does not matter how much of this book that you memorize or how much of this book that you read. All that matters is if you obey this book. I'll give you a little example. I'll use an Old Testament verse of Scripture, okay, as an example here, okay? All right, so here's what we'll do. I'll quote the first part of this verse, and if you know the second part, you can quote it with me. It's from the book of Psalms, okay? Here's the first part. This is the day the Lord has made. Here's the second part. If you know it, say it with me. I will rejoice and be glad in it. How many of you consciously made the decision today that you're going to rejoice and be glad in this day? No, I dare say most of you are like, are you kidding me, rain again? Are you serious, God? i got to walk across this parking lot. Look at all that water there. Are you kidding me? Seriously. Or some of you are like, my Sunday school teacher, my life group teacher is gone again? How many vacations do those people get? Goodness. Are you like, the coffee? Who burnt the coffee today? That's horrible. Why don't we have donuts? Wouldn't donuts be great? Donuts would pack people in. How many of you consciously now, you consciously made the decision when you woke up this morning, this is the day the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice today, and I'm going to be glad in it. Here's what I said when I woke up. Whoa, 545 came way too early. You're like, why do you get up so early? You don't have to be here till 9. i got to pray for you, heathen, before I get here. <laughs> Man, if you guys would start acting better, I could sleep a little bit longer. <laughs> I'm just teasing, okay? A little bit, a little bit. Seriously, seriously, okay? This is the day the Lord has made. Our Every day is the day that the Lord has made. Not just the high holy day of Sunday. Every day. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice. I consciously made. You came in this room. You sat. You stood. They sang. You know, maybe you're like, I don't even really care for that song. We're not here so that you may be entertained we're not here so I'll be entertained all I'm trying to say it's one thing to know it it's one thing to quote it it's one thing to memorize it it's another thing to do it you can stand before God you can quote all the scripture you want but the amount you obey that's what's pleasing to him a couple of weeks ago, we were in chapter 1, and we were kind of unveiling this entire thing. Paul writing there says this, there are two witnesses when it comes to God the Father. There's the inner witness, there's the outer witness. What was the outer witness? Creation. You remember what we said? That God has created this universe so that someone can walk outside and look up in the stars of the sky and say, golly, those are so beautiful. Man, there's got to be somebody. There's got to be a higher being. There's got to be a supreme creator somewhere. Look at the beauty of creation. And then that person can say, you know what? If you're there, whoever you are, I want to know you. 
And then there's the inner witness. The inner witness is the conscience. You remember that? Every person in every culture throughout history has been born with an innate ability to decide right and wrong, good and bad. I mean, that's the reason why we sit there and folks who do not even know Jesus Christ will sit there and say, you know what, I think murder's wrong. That's why we have laws, why we have rules. It's what sets us apart from the animals. We have a, a dog at my house and she and I have yet to have the first conversation where she's like, I can't believe what's happening in the world today. No, it's more like this. When are you going to drop another chip? Everybody has an inner witness. We have a sense, a conscience. We have the outer witness. We have the inner witness. Some folks will sit there and here's what they'll say. Well, you know what? Uh, kind of like what the good book says, let your conscience be your guide. We just talked about that. Chapter and verse, friend. You'll not find it. Do not let your conscience be your guide. That is a terrible way to live life. Your conscience can lead you astray. Paul talks about this, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. He's writing there to the false teachers. 1 Timothy 4, verse 2. Listen to what Paul says about these false teachers. He says, such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. He's saying this, that there are some people in this world today, they have that conscience, they have that inner witness of God, yet it's become desensitized or deadened. There may be somebody listening to me today, maybe even sitting in this room, and, and your conscience has become uh, deadened because you're living in unrepentant sin. Let's just say this morning, maybe you're living in one of those relationships that he talks about at the end of chapter 1. Let's just say that you're living in an adulterous relationship. We're not even talking about whether it's heterosexual or homosexual. Any relationship sexually outside of the confines of a man and a woman who are husband and wife is sin. Post that on Facebook. No, don't, not y'all. I want y'all to say, Jesus loves you and he'll forgive you. Come talk to me. Don't worry about whether they voted Republican or Democrat. Last time I checked, all need Jesus. You mean I got a witness to a Democrat? Yeah. I'm going to tell you a secret this morning. It's going to shock some of you. They're going to be Democrats in heaven. They're going to be some Republicans in hell. Really? But what will save your Trump? Say, I mean, what will ex-president? Mm. Boy, I could go for a while on that one, folks. Let's just say that you're living in an adulterous relationship. Probably the first time that you were involved in it, you felt a little guilty. Well, I ought not be doing this. I really should not be involved in this. But over the months and over the years, it doesn't bother you anymore. And what happens is you say, well, why not? what I must be doing must be right because it feels right to me. My conscience seems to be okay with it. If something was wrong with it, then I'd feel bad. You don't see that on T-shirts, do you? No, I'll tell you what's happened. Your conscience has become deadened. You have reached a state of moral insensitivity. 
If you trust your conscience and if you trust the way that you feel, it will determine what's right and wrong for you and you will be led astray. The only time you should follow your conscience, friend, is if it leads you to Jesus. See, your conscience is like a compass. Now, I know the day and world we live in today, a compass, some of you are like, what is that crazy thing you're talking about? If you were a Boy Scout or something along those lines, you know exactly what we mean. A compass. How many of you have ever been lost before, before these things known as pocket phones were there? And you're like, man, all I know is I'm supposed to go north. Well, now, there's a crow sitting on a limb. If it's on the left side of the tree, then that's south. If it's on the right side of the tree, that's... Yeah, yeah, that's what would happen if, if we'd been where I live. Somebody would have said, hey, we got crow for dinner. <laughs> what does a compass do? What does a compass do? A compass sits there and it guides you to a destination. I mean, you don't sit there and say, oh, man, I got to find my compass. I got to find my compass. I got to find my compass. Oh, wait, 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 here it is. Yes, we found the compass. Oh, everything's saved. Woo, let's sit down and relax. We're here at the compass. No, I mean, you're going to say, well, now we know where to go. Let's get where we're going. It's the same way with your conscience. Now, the destination is not your conscience. It's your conscience leading you to Jesus. I think people in our world today need to hear about God's grace. They need to hear about God's mercy, God's love, God's forgiveness, God's salvation. But I got to be honest with you. I think people in our world today need to hear about God's wrath and God's judgment. And and I'm not talking to them out there because they're not in here. I'm talking to you in here. I'm talking to us in here. That we need to come to a point where we hate sin. We despise sin. We are allergic to sin. Instead of being a weakened down body of Christ that says, oh, it's okay, it doesn't hurt me. It's okay, let them live the way they want to. It's okay. No, in love we say there's a better way and is found under the umbrella of the grace and the love and the goodness of Jesus Christ. We hate sin in our own life because God hates sin. You say, all right, pastor, all right. So you're telling me there's going to be a judgment and either those who've received Jesus, won't have to show up. He'll be there. He'll be their advocate. He'll say, hey, don't worry about it, Dad. They're covered by me. Or those who've not trusted their life with Christ, they'll stand and they'll give an account. 100%. And here's what the Bible says. The Bible has already said, here's the outcome. Here's the verdict. Guilty. You're in one of two areas, one or two camps. Either Jesus is your advocate, or you're going to receive God's wrath. You say, Pastor, okay, I don't want to do that. <laughs> how, do I, uh, how do I have Jesus as my advocate? 
explain it this way. We'll close. Last Sunday, we had Scott Dawson here. And, uh, you know, evangelist, travels around the world, very seldom in churches, does big crusades. He just come from Vegas, thousands upon thousands there. And a friend of mine, he's been here before. And uh, afterwards, after the service, you know, we, we, we went out to eat. He had, to, he had a little bit of time he could eat, and then he had to get on the road and head somewhere else. And we're sitting there at lunch, and I'm like, can I just say, Scott, I can't stand you. He's like, why? I'm like, I preach to these people all year long. I preach to them with a kidney stone. I preach to these people, come to Jesus, come to Jesus, come to Jesus. You come in there, you tell a story about flying on an airplane, come to Jesus, and everybody floods down. Can't stand you. And he said, well, you know, that's the gift of evangelism. Scripture talks about that. You know, some are called to be evangelists and all this kind of stuff. And, and so we went to a restaurant and we couldn't stay at that restaurant because even though they had a bunch of open tables, they, they only had a couple of folks working there because... <laughs> mm, I don't know if I want to say this on July the 4th. Um, because our government rewards people not working. Um, don't say amen if you cash the check. Uncle Joe bought me these new shoes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, it's contrary to what Scripture says. Scripture says if you don't work, you don't. <laughs> yeah, you got it. You know that one too, right? <laughs> Let me go back to my story. We finally found a place, and a uh, Mexican place. We had, we, you know, they got us in real quick, and we sat down and had to hurry up. We didn't bring our food out. They were really, really quick. Service was great. Food was great, and we're talking, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, dude, you're about to have to leave. And he goes, I know, I know, I need to go. And I said, well, we got to get the check, you know. And he's like, yeah, I know, and then they need to bring the check. And I'm thinking, why are you worried about the check? I mean, I knew he wasn't going to pay. <laughs> and, uh, and so anyway... You know, finally the waiter came by and I was like, sir, hey, sir, could we get the check? Because we, we need to pay, we need to go. He goes, no, 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 your check's already been taken care of. It's paid in full, they even put the tip on it. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, wow. I looked at Scott and he looked at me, he goes, man, I would have got the steak if I'd known. I'm like, golly, man. <laughs> you know how preachers are, right? Oh. And somebody in the place had, had, had bought our lunch. And, and I was sitting there, and I'm like, well, well who did it? You know, and he kind of pointed at a table that had like 15 people at it. And um, I was like, man, this, you know, that was kind. That was nice. That was good. And, you know, there was a pastor sitting at that table. Pastors, another church that is not a Southern Baptist church, a great friend, loves Jesus Christ, hauls off and preaches the gospel just like we do right here. And uh, it was somebody at his table. And so I just kind of got up to everybody there and I said, don't know who paid for our meal, but thank you so much. You've blessed us. Now, I could have responded another way. I could have said, whoa, 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 whoa. I pay for my own food. No, thank you. No, 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 no. You give them their money back. I'll be taking care of this. I mean, I know, you know, what happens with, with uh, shekels come shackles. No, 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 no. You 
let me pay for it. I'll not have anybody. Matter of fact, I don't even get, if they, from that table, I don't even go to that church. They're not even Baptist. <laughs> You're like, well, that would have been, that would have been foolish for you to respond that way. Wouldn't it have been? It also would have been rude. Probably wouldn't have had to worry about anybody paying for one in the future. No, you wouldn't respond that way. I wouldn't respond that way. But see, a gift is only a gift if you accept it. And Paul's sitting here and Paul's saying, hey, listen, there is a judgment and it is perfect judgment. It is God's judgment. It is already set in stone. It is in his character. He hates sin. He will judge sin. You all will have to pay for your sin. But he's also a loving God and a gracious God. And he has made a way that you can receive the gift of that payment. It'll not be a partial payment. Hey, you folks who think you have to have salvation plus, hear this. It's not salvation plus anything. Next week, Paul will be saying this. It's not salvation plus circumcision. And we would say, well, I agree with that one. <laughs> no, he says it's taken care of. He, he even left the tip. It's paid in full. But it doesn't matter if you don't receive it. And today he offers that gift of saying, guess what? That day when it's your turn to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, you don't even have to show. I'll be right there. I'm your advocate. Yet when he looks at your sin, he'll realize it's already been paid for by me. Choice is yours. Now, to me, it's the foolish thing in the world for somebody to sit there and say, no, I think I'll do it myself. Mm. Would you bow your heads with me today? Your heads bowed, your eyes closed. Which one of those two categories do you find yourself in? He's my advocate. He is my defense lawyer. I've trusted my life with Jesus Christ. I've repented of my sin. This is no longer my life. It belongs to him. Is that you? Is that you? Or today maybe it would be. Yeah, I've not really done that. But I'm ready to. I'm ready to receive God's gift of grace. I'm ready to surrender my life to Jesus. I want a relationship with him. Then I invite you right now, right where you are, just say those very things to him. Call out to him. In just a moment, we'll stand and we'll sing and me and some other pastors will be right down front and maybe this morning, you would come and you would say, you know what? I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. Or maybe you would say this morning, I just gave my life to Christ. I'm not ashamed of it. I want to profess it. And I want to do what's next. Or maybe this morning, those of you that would say, yes, he, he is there in my place. He is my advocate. 
When is the last time that you even stopped and said, thank you, Jesus? Thank you that I am a trophy of your grace. Thank you that I'm not going to get what I deserve, but instead, you'll take my place.